Welcome to Harbor Church. My name is Katie Rose. I am really glad that you are with us today. Um, man, this place is jam-packed, which we love to see. Um, shout out to my folks out in the overflow room. We love you too. You're just as much a part of it. Yeah, big fans. People are clapped. One person clapped for you. So I hope you really take that to heart and you feel, hey, we love you guys. Um, I do want to let you know if you are in the overflow and would prefer not to be, or if you find yourself here and are looking for a way to step up and serve your church family, we got a little room in the 8 a.m. That's about the only place we have room left. Um, and a little bit, we did add another Thursday night service, which has been awesome. So we have a 5.30 and a 7 on Thursdays, which are exactly the same as what you get here on a Sunday morning. Uh, we got Harbor Kids at all five of our services. So if you're looking for a chance to create a little room so we can keep inviting friends and family and neighbors to hear about Jesus, man, we got opportunities. Uh, that being said, we are getting into our third week of our Mind Game series. So if you've been with us the past couple weeks, uh, you've seen that we've been pulling a little nonsense on some people here at Harbor. Each week we've invited four contestants to come play a mind game, a, a challenge of sorts, and they've all been pretty unique and honestly kind of strange. Um, and we've found a way to tie in some real biblical truths, uh, which is the actual point of what we've been up to. Um, and this week we're going to be um, taking a look at the age-old question of how good is good enough. Um, and our contestants are challenged with this. It kind of tests their, their motivation and their confidence um, and their willingness to put in actual effort. Uh, but we see this in our spiritual lives too, right? Um, we know that God does the work. We're not supposed to earn his love. And yet, you know, we're trying to go to church and read our Bibles and pray and love our neighbors and take care of our families and work really hard. And how do we know when, like, man, am I doing enough? Like, is God happy with me? Based on your very blank stares, none of you have ever had these thoughts, but... You guys just want to go? Are you set? You don't need this? No. Um, but truly, this is stuff we wrestle with. And there's a, there's a story in the Bible that if you've never heard it before, Pastor Josh will get into it in a second. But Jesus tell this, tells this story about a master and his servants, and it's representative of, of God and us. And in Matthew 25, 21, the master, being God, was full of praise. And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I mean, I don't know about you, that's what I hope to hear when I come to the end of my life. I want to meet God and have him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. May you use the things I gave you. Uh, but there is another side to that story. There is more to it. And there's another servant uh, who does not get a, a well done. It says, the master replied to him, you wicked and lazy servant. He says, to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And it's kind of sobering, right? And it's this thing we wrestle with of, man, how hard am I supposed to be trying? How do I know that I'm doing enough? How good is good enough? Um, so our contestants are, are faced with a, a challenge once again this week. They walked in not knowing what they were going to come into. This week we've got Evan, Matt, Brittany, and John who showed up um, and were challenged to take part in a little, in a little game. Um, and I want to challenge you guys as you watch this first video and see what they're faced with. Ask yourself, if you were in their shoes, what would you have done? And, and even more than that, in your spiritual life, when you're faced with an opportunity to take a shot, uh, are you more likely to, to play it safe and take the easy way out or to, to take a risk and go for the long shot? Let's check it out. Come on in, John. Come on in. I will be your taskmaster for today. Come on over. How we doing? I'm good. A little nervous. Feel a little bit better just seeing sports stuff. Oh, 
blessings. You come uh, stand right here, look in that direction, and read this clue out loud from start to finish. Look in the direction of Bobby? Okay. Yeah. Oh, the camera, sorry. Oh, very nice seal. Thank you. Oh. Uh-oh, I don't want to rip it. There we go. Oh, Score a goal from the furthest distance. You may take only two shots, no practice kicks. If you do not score a goal, you are disqualified. Tough. You must perform a terrific goal celebration, whether or not. You have a typo here, just seeing. Whether or not you score a goal. You have five minutes. Then my time starts now. Now? <laughs> Wait. Okay. Okay. Wait, I want to see if there's a loophole. Morning, fam. This might be the simplest game that we have in this series of mind games, but I love that it's probably the one that messes with people the most, or at least people like me, and I don't know, I'm hoping many of you or else this message won't relate. Um, this idea of like, I, I've got to figure out how good good enough is. And see, they don't, if you didn't understand from the, from the, the task, they have to score a goal and the furthest out goal wins except for they don't know where anybody else kicked from. So they're sitting there going, do I take it, do I take a close shot and guarantee myself a goal? But if I'm close, then it's not going to be hard for anybody to beat me. But the further back I go, the less likely I am to make this goal. And so it's this back and forth of like, what do I think other people are doing? And can I beat them? And did they go really far and miss, so I don't need to go as far, or do I need to push myself? And it's this back and forth. And I don't know, maybe some of you grew up playing sports or you played, uh, you know, you're an athlete in high school or something like that. Whenever we would lose a game, coaches would often say stuff like, well, did you give 100%? If you, if you, if you left it all out, out, out there on the field, if you left it all on the court, then, then you can hang your, you, you can hold your head high. Like, you, you, you did it. And I'm like, did I give 100%? Like, what? Like, do you mean, did I really want to win? I mean, like, I, I am so competitive. I hate to lose. I'm doing way better than what I used to be. But I still, I won't let my six-year-old win at, at, at Candyland. I'm like, get back to the gumdrops, Luke. <laughs> like, I hate to lose. And so, like, as, a, as sitting there in the locker room, I'm like, are you asking me to, how badly I wanted to win? A hundred percent. I wanted to win. I tried to win. I did everything I could. Are you asking me, did I play a perfect game? Well, no. Like, there was a shot I could have made or a a play I could have run better. Like, I, I wasn't perfect, so did we lose because I need to be better? Yeah, okay, then I need to be better, then I'm not happy. Did we lose and I did everything and so I'm, I need to be okay with losing? I, like, I struggled with that. Like, that was always, because like, they're like, well, did you do it? Did you, did you give everything? Did you go 100%? I'm like, I tried my hardest, but yet I didn't play perfect. So I was always, I was always torn with like, how am I supposed to feel about a loss? And, and spiritually, it feels similar. Spiritually, it's like, am I doing enough? That story that Katie Rose read is a parable that Jesus speaks, and Jesus gives one, Jesus says that as the master, he gives one servant five talents or five pieces of gold. He gives another servant two pieces of gold, two talents, and he gives another servant just one. He says, here, and they were responsible to do something with what they've been given, and when he comes back, when you and I, at the end of our life, stand before God, you either hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, I'm proud of you, or you hear, you wicked and lazy servant. The master comes back and says, hey, I gave you all those decades on earth, 
I let you live all of those years, year after year after year. I, I handed you a bag full of years. What did you do with it? I want to hear, well done. I don't want to hear, you wicked and lazy servant. And so I'm sitting there going, well, is this good enough? Am I doing good enough to get well done? Am I, did I do enough today? Did I do enough yesterday? When you look at this last week, how did you do? We're going to jump into that. If you're new or if you're watching us online right now, tune in on, on YouTube or listen to us on the podcast, my name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're going to continue this series by looking at a story that's not super well known. Um, some of you have probably never heard it, um, and it's found in the Old Testament, and it's about this, this king, Joahash. Now, he, he comes from a line. You got to understand how the kings of Israel were working. You had King David, and he loved God and was a good guy, and his son Solomon was a good king, and they led the people of Israel to worship and follow the one true God. But then after them, it started going downhill, and there's a King Jeroboam, and he starts, he starts bringing in false gods, and people, the people of Israel stop worshiping the one true God, and they start worshiping all of the gods, the Baals and the Asherahs and all these other false gods that, are in, that the countries around them are worshiping. Well, we get down the line to King Joash, and he doesn't do anything to tear down the idols. He doesn't, the Bible says that he's, he's not really a great king, but he shows up to visit the man of God. And the man of God, the prophet of God, is a famous guy named Elisha. And Elisha's been representing God for decades there in Israel. And it says he's about to die. And the story takes place in 2 Kings chapter 13. In verse 14, it says, when, Eli when Elisha was in his last illness, meaning he's getting ready to pass away, King jo uh, Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him, saying, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, he cried. Let's stop there for a second, because I want you to understand what's going on. That's a weird thing to say. Don't visit somebody in the hospital and go, I see chariots and charioteers. It's not, it's not something you say to people that they're dying, unless you understand the context. So what he's talking about here is he's actually referencing something that was said between Elisha and Elijah when Elijah went up. And this reference to chariots and charioteers was talking about the strength of the country. The, the might of its army. Now, today we have different contexts to measure how armies are, which ones are strong and which ones aren't. But back in the day, they didn't have aircraft carriers, they didn't have fighter jets and satellites. The way that you knew your army was, was pretty imposing was you had chariots. That was, that was the tank back then. That was the best thing that you could offer. So to have a lot of chariots and charioteers, people who knew how to ride them, that meant your army was strong. That's the strength of your army. So he walks into this room where Elisha is dying, and he goes, you, man of God, like our country doesn't have much God left in it, but you, Elisha, you're a man of God, and you're dying. And he goes, I, I, see, I see you passing away. I see our strength. I see what little bit we have. I see it leaving. Now, the psalmist in Psalms 20, verse number 7 said this, some nations boast about their chariots and about their horses, but not us. We will boast in the name of the Lord our God. It's a reminder that really our strength isn't found in all the stuff that we do. And the, the strength of Israel wasn't really found in its armies. And jo, Joahash is actually referencing this. He sees Elisha dying and he goes, you're the man of God. You've been this prophet for so long. But when you die, we're going to lose our strength she gets it. When, we, when you die, Elisha, we're screwed. What do we do? Like, that's the, that's the chariots. That's the charioteers. That's, that's our strength. You're, you're leaving us. And, and, and you got to understand, at this time while he's saying this, 
they have been for decades being attacked by their enemies. The Syrians mostly, but a lot of these armies around them kept coming into their land, killing their people, and stealing their land. So they've been losing territories and being invaded. And he goes, and we're, he's like, we're done. Now, you might read that, and you might think, well, then King Joash is a good guy. He's coming. He's proclaiming that Elisha, the man of God, is the real strength of Israel. He recognizes that they need God. He must be a pretty good guy, except for in the passages earlier, it says that he, he's not. He's not a good king. He does nothing to tear down all the false idols and false worship that, that is going on in this country, even though he's the king. So I need you to understand something before we move on. It's kind of like a freebie. I didn't charge you for any of it, okay? Um, he, he's not a false worshiper. He's not, he's not a worshiper of false gods, King Jehoash. He's just a false worshiper of the true God. See, you can know the truth and still do nothing about all the false stuff. I'm not talking about King Jehoash anymore. You can live in a time where the world believes all of its false gods and its false narrative, and even though you know the truth, you do nothing to influence against all that is wrong, you're just as guilty as he is. To live in a day and age where you know what is true, and the world around you is going to hell in a handbasket, and you go like, well, I mean, uh, you got to do you. That's what everybody tells you. You, just, you don't worry about anybody else. You just, you just take care of you, and everybody can believe what they want. No, your family member, your coworker, your best friend, the kid that rides the bus with you, that neighbor of yours, they have a false belief that is not helping them, and you knowing the truth and doing nothing about the evil makes you as guilty as this guy. And King Jehoash, maybe he wasn't worshiping false gods, but he was a false worshiper of the true God. Because if he truly worshiped God, he would have done everything he could with his influence to help the people who were not knowing him. But he shows up, as much as he's not really following after God, as much as he's not really being the man that God called him to, he shows up to see Elisha die, to be there at the end. It reminded me of a quote by Charles Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon said this, Dear friends, let us seek so to live that even ungodly men may miss out when we are gone. Live our lives in a way that even the people who don't have a relationship with God want to be around us because we do have a relationship with God. What if your coworkers missed you because of the joy of your salvation, because the light that you brought into your toxic workplace? Well, they'll never believe in God. But what if the... What if the attitude that you had in your family at family dinners? What if the way you conducted yourself in chemistry class or on the bus ride home? The way you are around your friends? What if your life, because you are walking with God and you are exuding the joy and the hope and the peace of somebody who's truly trusting God, what if you lived your life in a way that even the people who don't know Jesus or don't even want anything to know, don't even want to know about Jesus, they still want to be around you? Listen, Jesus was popular. Jesus got invited to parties that you don't get invited to because he was nice to people and he loved them. Why is it that church people are some of the worst people to be around? Did I just say that out loud? Okay. Um, <laughs> Let's go back to the story. Let's pick it up. Let's see where it gets weird, right? So he's like, hey, I see chariots, chariots, chariots. You're dying, and we're, we're screwed. We, we, don't, we ain't got nothing. And Elisha tells him, hey, go get a bow and some arrows. And so the king did as he was told, and that's kind of weird, right? Like, I'm dying. Go get some bow and arrows. Okay. 
And it says, Elisha told him, now, hey, put your hand here on the bow. And, and Elisha laid his hands on top of the king's hands. And he says, okay, now open this eastern window. And they opened the eastern window. And he said, now shoot. And so they pull it back and they shoot this arrow. And he shot the arrow. And Elisha proclaimed this. This, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now go pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. Now, before, before we get to that last part, let me just tell you what happened, because that's weird, right? And outside of context, you're like, I don't get the Bible. Just understand, this is, this is, he, he's doing something symbolic. What is, what is King Jehoahash's his problem? Elisha, when you're dead, God won't protect us anymore, and what little bit we have, we're going to lose all of it. And Elisha goes, hey, come on, let's shoot this arrow. And they shoot this arrow together, and he shoots it out the eastern window. That's important because he makes him open the window to the east, to Syria, and he says, here's our enemies, they're coming at us. Let's aim at them. And they shoot this arrow in that direction. And he says, this is symbolic that we are going to go to war with Syria, the Arameans, and God will give you a, ba- a victory at Aphek. Now, if you read in your Bible, Aphek is a battleground. King Ahab wins, wins a victory there. This is a common spot where they would fight, where the enemies that would invade. This was an important spot to control. They have lost it. And he's saying, hey, we're going to go win back territory, and we're going to have a victory. Now, this whole shooting the arrow, to you may not mean a lot, but that was very common for thousands of years. You would show up the battlefield. You'd shoot an arrow into the battlefield or towards your enemy. You would throw a spear. Maybe you saw Braveheart. You know, he takes a running spin, and he throws that sword. Nobody? Cool. All right. <laughs> you guys a lot of fun to preach to. Let's just embarrass myself up here. I don't know what movies you watch, you know, Troy, 300, whatever. You shoot, you, 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 to launch a weapon towards your enemy and throw it in the ground was a way of declaring, I'm not here to be friends. I am, I am declaring malicious intent towards you. So that, that was well known. For him to fire this arrow, it was symbolic of we are going to go to war with, the, with our enemies. And even though I'm dying, king, God's going to give you this victory. God's still going to be with you. God still has power outside of just the prophet Elisha is what he's saying. He's trying to teach this kingness. He's trying to give him this, this symbolic representation. Take the shot. He says, now that I've told you what this means and I've told you what God's going to do, go get some more arrows and shoot them. And so now we come up with the question, what would you do? What would you do? Would you go get the arrows? Would you shoot them? How many arrows would you shoot? If you were the contestants in the game, and we said, hey, score a goal, furthest goal wins, what would you do? How would you judge which shot to take and when not to take the shot? And how far back do you go? Do you take a quick or close one and make it easy? Or do you go back far in hopes that you can beat everybody else? What would you do? Let's watch our contestants, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Cool. Okay. Terrific celebration. Buddy's mm-hmm. probably going at two shots. Two shots and two only. I don't get to ask any questions. You can ask questions all you want. All right. How about uh, well, five minutes to shoot this? This is nothing. How far? How far are we down? Oh, sorry. I'm supposed to speak out loud. But it doesn't say furthest distance from what. You know, it just says furthest distance. That's silly. Is that a? That loop? is true. I can tell you, I'm going to measure from the goal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How confident are you feeling? Pretty good. Until I get out here and actually try it. <laughs> so do I ha- kick it? 
Got to kick it. You got to kick it. You can't throw it. Got to kick it. How confident are you? I'm just going to just going to do this. Okay. You let me know when you're attempting. I'll mark your spot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, she's getting more confident this time. Goes <laughs> on. There's a bug. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Scoring a goal, I have two shots. From the furthest distance, yes? Yes, sir. Hmm. Can I use any part of my body? Has to be kicked. Has to be kicked. Okay, that's fair. How come you feeling, John? I'm, I am like, I don't play soccer. You're going far out there. I am going to go this distance. All right, hold on one second. Let me give you a mark. And then I'm going to go further. <laughs> this is so good. We love the confidence. All right. Right about here. Let's see what you got. Oh. Oof. I figure if I try from a distance, then if I don't make it, I'll go closer. I like where your head's at. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I have a question. Do I um, celebrate after each shot? You don't have to, but you <laughs> certainly can. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Whoa. tragic. So close. A tragic miss. And yet, so Okay. Far. Close, but no cigar. Wasn't even close. Okay. Oh, my goodness gracious. Hate to see it. <laughs> okay. Now, you think that's easy. If you want to prove it, we have a big inflatable target out there. Go kick some soccer balls after this and see how close you get to the bullseye. Um, I love that you can watch that and be like, oh, I'd do this. I, this is what I would do. And I was thinking through what I would do if I was playing that game. And then I was like, what if I miss my first shot, though? Do I get closer to ensure it again? But then now all I've got is one close shot. I'm not going to win anything with that. And it goes back to the mind game of, okay, well, how good is good enough? Like, when is it enough? Let's go back to our story with King Jehoash. God's going to give you this victory. Go get some arrows, shoot them some more. Verse 18. Now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and he struck the ground three times. Now you understand a quiver of arrows back in that day would have held around, most historians think, around about 25 arrows on average. And during a time of war, which this is a time of war, could hold up to 60 arrows in a quiver. I don't know how many arrows he had, but he shoots three of them. This is what it says. But the man of God, that's Elisha, was angry with them. What? You should have struck the ground five or at least six times, he exclaimed. Then God would have beaten, then, then you would have beaten Aram until it was completely entirely destroyed. But now you're only going to be victorious three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. <laughs> can you understand? Can you imagine being that king? You're like, okay, okay, shoot some arrows. And then you're like, am I doing a good job? And the prophet goes, what? You're the worst. <laughs> I mean, I just put myself, I'm like, oh, that's a, it's not the pep talk I came for. Um, it makes you, you got to ask yourself the question, how many arrows would you have shot? The, ki the, the prophet's mad at him for only shooting three. But we all get a chance spiritually to take shots every day hundreds of them. See, God, the, 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 the thing that the prophet told him was that this is symbolic of God in your life 
and what God's going to do through you. And they take that shot together. He goes, now go take some more shots. And he gets over to the window, and we're left to wonder why he does what he does. So I'm just picturing him standing at that window, and Elijah, Elisha's over in the bed, like, <clears throat> he's like, okay, I did it. And then immediately, like, three? You did three? That's it? That's the best you could do is three? And I'm sitting there going, I wonder how many I would have taken. If I don't get it, then I think three's good enough. I mean, how many shots did you take? You know, I'm taking more shots than anybody else has taken. Three's got to be good enough, right? How many times in a given day do I have to do something for God? Like, I didn't cuss out that guy that, that passed me going to, you know, like on, on the side of the road. I didn't, I didn't, didn't give him sign language. I was fine. And then Carol in accounting did not get the email that she deserved to get from me. And then when I got home, I definitely didn't tell the person that I live with uh, that they're the idiot that I think they are. I, I feel like I took three great shots today. I did pretty good. I did pretty good taking shots for Jesus. I mean, three, right? Three's got to be good. Some of you all, you don't take a single shot. Don't be judging me. <laughs> and so this is the question that we have to ask. How good is good enough? How many shots do you have to take for God before it's good enough? Before you've done enough? Before you've you, you, you passed the test? See, for us to take a shot, what I'm going to refer to as taking a shot is you trusting God to do whatever it is he called you to do. You get a chance to take hundreds of shots every single day. And the way that you respond to how God puts it on your heart to use your time, your talents, your treasure, and your testimony as all the things that he's handed to you. The problem is that in the story that Jesus tells where the master gives all of those servants that, those talents, it's not the servant's money. It was always the master's money. And so when we sit there and think, this is how I'm going to, the shot I'm going to take with my time, my talents, my treasure, and my testimony, we've already got it wrong. Every bit of time we have, every bit of talent we have, every bit of treasure we have, and every bit of testimony we have, it's all the master's. It's not ours. He's lending it to us to do something with it. So every shot you get, you should take. Now, you get hundreds of opportunities every day to represent Christ, to do things the way he would do it, to let him use you in a way that, that would glorify him. The problem is we don't take those shots. Now, let's answer why. Why don't we look more like Jesus? Let's just be honest. I know, I know, like, we, oh, I'm a pretty good person. Okay, but you should, there's shots you're missing. Even the best person in here, you, you're not taking all the shots you should. Why? Well, first off, if we're going to take shots, I think we've got to recognize a couple things. In order to take your shot, to be good at taking the shots that God has for you, when, that, when those opportunities come, you, you first off, you need effort and aim. You can't take a shot without effort and aim. You have to pull back. The resistance of pulling back is what launches the arrow. The resistance to go against what's easy. And then aim. And if you have never shot a bow and arrow, you don't just like point it straight down into your foot. You have to actually aim it somewhere. So you need resistance and aim to ever take a shot. Well, what's that look like for us spiritually? It looks like our prayer life. Now, in the first week of this series, we talked about how to pray. You can go watch that. But I need you to understand the value of prayer, because some of you, even though I talked about it two weeks ago, you haven't prayed in the two weeks since then. Prayer is, is your effort. It is going against, it's the resistance. You, as a normal human being, are prone to laziness and selfishness. Shocker, I know. 
but you don't naturally want to pray. You want to do things in your own power, and you, you want God to give you stuff, but to humble yourself to say, God, what do you want? That takes effort. You're going to have to go against the resistance. You're going to have to actually go against your normal intuition and say, God, what do you have for me? See, that's the aim part. Getting down and humbling myself in prayer, that's the resistance. The aim is saying, God, this moment is about you, not about me. So tomorrow at work, when you see a coworker sitting by themselves and you got your lunch, you're going to have to, in that moment, have that, that aim and that effort and go, God, what do you want for me right now to do? It's not my time, it's your time. And it's not my body, it's your body. And it's not my talent. It's your, what do you want me to do? And the shot that he's telling you to take might be just to go sit down and have a conversation with somebody you don't want to have a conversation with. But you don't ever take that shot because you're not even aiming or putting in any effort. This is what the Bible says about prayer, for those of you that don't value it as much. James 5.16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. He goes on to say in John 15, 7, when he's talking about being a vine and branches, he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, or if you remain in me and I remain in you, this means a connection. He says, you can ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. Now, I love that part. Dear God, I got a lot of things I want. He goes, well, in order for prayer to work, there has to be a relationship. I have to abide in you and you have to abide in me. See, Israel at this time, God, we're being invaded by the Syrians. Rescue us. And he's like, we don't talk. You got, you've been worshiping Baal and Asherah. You've been bowing down to all these false gods. That's who you have a relationship with. You want to just ask and receive? We need to have a relationship. There needs to be a back and forth. I need to be in you and you need to be in me. There needs to be a connection. And see, this is why some of us, we don't pray. This is why we don't take the shots. What you need to hear today is that every single one of us, myself included, are, are given opportunities to do what God's called us to. We are given shots to take. You are not taking your shots like you should be because you're not walking in prayer. And by prayer, I don't mean you, you throw up Hail Marys all the time. I mean you're not walking in a relationship where you're having daily conversations with God. And so you don't have the connection to get the aim and the effort down right. But not only do you need aim and effort, you also need instruction. Do you see that Elijah... And the first, Elijah's like, put your hand here, put your hand here. The king probably never shot a bow and arrow before. He's got servants. He's like, come here, boss. Aim it like this. It's like showing an old person how to use the computer. Now do this. Now do I know, I just offended some of you. I'm sorry. Um, send me an email if you can. Um, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Gosh. Gosh, I'm sorry. My point is that we all, we all need, come back to me, we all need instruction. We all need instruction. The king needed instruction. You and I need instruction. We all need training and discipleship, the Bible says. We all need to grow in our knowledge. You will get better at recognizing shots and taking shots the more you practice, the more training you get, the more you have people pouring into you. This is what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.8. Physical training is good. But training for godliness, spiritual training, is much better. It's promising benefits that are in this life and in the life to come. Some of you work out every single day. You're taking great care of your physical body. By the way, that's a good thing. But your physical body, no matter how good you take care of it, will deteriorate on this side of, the, of eternity. Some of you should be shaking your heads yes, because it's happening faster and faster. But your spiritual 
the spiritual training you do has eternal benefits. Every weight you lift, every treadmill you run on, on this side, it's over when your body dies, no matter what. But when you start investing in the training that you get spiritually, you're pouring into something that has eternal value, a kingdom mindset. And so it's, it's this call to do more, to take a higher level up. Uh, as the pastor, I don't think I've arrived. I have mentors and coaches and people who pour into me that sometimes just kick my butt and tell me things I don't want to hear but need to hear. We all need mentors. We all need discipleship. You should get plugged in. Get a pastor. Get some people around you. Do a, a, do a, a connect group and, and get some, some friends that are on the same journey where you can get people pouring into your life to get more training so you can do better day by day taking the shots you're supposed to take. So you need, you need an aim and effort and you need training. But you also need an open window. Anybody else shoot their BB gun inside their house? Good, you shouldn't do that. I did. It's not a, I don't recommend it. You need, you need an opening. You need to be able to, to fire. See, he had an open window to shoot out of. But do you know that that opportunity only lasted for a few minutes? Only lasted for a few minutes. See, after, after Elisha yells at him, you could, if you had shot more arrows, you'd have more victories in battle. I'm sure he's like, oh, okay. Uh, oh, so here we go. Here we go. Here we Take a bunch. Nope, dude. That ship sailed. You had a chance. You had an open window. You took three shots. By the way, all the things that you could have done yesterday, they're gone. Those shots you can't take anymore. If you're smart, you'll learn from the missed shots and the shots you didn't take, the, the, the missed opportunities, and you'll be more ready for the next opportunities. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity you get. Stop, stop thinking that that, that that neighbor will be there tomorrow, that you can go talk to him then. That that friend that needs Jesus, you can talk to him. You, you don't know when your last opportunity will be there. You, you only get one shot. Don't miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime, to quote Eminem. Three people, okay. I'll try a different song later. Um, you, you do not want to miss the open window because this is one of the things that people talk to me about in counseling sessions is the regrets they have for the shots they didn't take. I don't want you to have those. Listen, we all, I, I, I miss more shots. I, I mean, I, I miss more opportunities than I take. I, I want to get better at taking advantage of every opportunity God gives me. But I will not be ready for it if I'm not walking with him, training in him. This is the thing. God's given you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to take the right shot. But because you're not in your Bible, you're not in church, you're not walking with God, you're doing everything in the flesh and you're doing nothing in the spirit, you're missing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do the thing that it is that God has for you to do. And by missing those shots, by, by, by not taking the shots is what I mean. By not taking the shots... You, you are missing out on the benefits. When he didn't take the shot, it didn't just hurt King Jehoash, it hurt his entire country. You not taking the shots that God has for you with your family and in your workplace and in your community and with your circle of friends, you're not just hurting you and the well done, thou good and faithful servant, you're hurting the people that God has given you a chance to impact because now they're not getting the impact of their friend, their mom, their grandparent, their brother, their sister, their neighbor pouring into them. God was going to use you to bless somebody, but you didn't take the shot. 
Windows open. Tomorrow you're going to get a lot of open windows. Don't settle for three shots. Some of you, you haven't taken any shot. Let's just start by taking shots. But some of you, you good Christians, church people, what's good enough? How do I know if I'm good enough? Well, windows open, take the shot. But here's, here's going to be the biggest reason you don't. To take your shot, the fourth thing, it's going to require obedience without, without a sense of completely understanding what's going on. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do the right thing, even if it doesn't make sense to you. And this is why most of us don't take our shot, because this is faith. This is faith. To be willing to do something, even though you do not understand how it will work out, that's when you have to trust something bigger than yourself. And you're not doing it. Well, this isn't going to be God. You're God now. Because you just made up all the reasons why you can't take the shot. You're the God. Regardless of what you say. And listen, I'm not mad at you. I'm telling you what I do. And if you're like, how do you know this? Because I do the same thing. I have all of the reasons why I, that this shot won't work. And what it needs to come down to is faith. This is what the Bible says about faith. Faith Shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of things we hope for. The evidence of, uh, the, uh, sorry, the evidence of things we don't see. It says faith is the reality of what we hope for. The evidence of things that we cannot see. I want all this, but I cannot see how this works out. Your faith will never grow inside of your comfort zone. We are a culture, especially Americans, we are a culture that thinks we are destined to always be in our comfort zone. You will never grow until you get to a place of discomfort. In your comfort zone, you require no faith because everything makes sense and everything's good. But the second it's confusing, the second we step out into discomfort where we don't see the immediate future, I'm speaking to some people with the OCD in here, where it doesn't make sense to me, where I don't have all the answers clearly laid out, where everything isn't planned to the T and I know every single step. Yeah, as soon as you get to that place, you don't want any part of it. And God goes, well, that's the only place that your, your faith is ever going to grow. You have to get to the place where you don't know, but you trust that he does. That's faith. That's how we grow. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 17, the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, the world's got its own standards of what it wants to do, but that's leading it to pass away. That's a decaying thing. When I start to do the will of God, when I start to do what he wants versus what I want, now that's why I start missing shots. It's because I'm back to me wanting to do things. But as soon as I say, God, what do you want today? Tomorrow at work or tomorrow hanging out with your friends or whatever you're doing, it, you are not living in you if you're a believer. You're living this life saying, God, I, I, I'm here for whatever you want, and I won't miss any more shots. You see, I, I, want, I walk through, and I just play this game sometimes. I'm like, if I was King Jehoash, why wouldn't I take shots? Here's a couple that I came up with. See if any of these ring true for you spiritually. Why we don't do what God's called us to do. Um... Well, I, I didn't want to ask for too much. I thought three was enough. I'm not going to ask God for too much. You're not going to ask God for too much? Are you high? He doesn't, he doesn't run out. Don't pretend like, you're like, like I'm generous. I, just don't, I don't need that many blessings from God. Yes, you do. You're lazy or you're afraid or stubborn or complacent, but it's not because you're so generous. 
Why else don't you take shots? Well, well, Elisha's not helping me. He helped me with the first shot. Now he's not helping me. If he's not going to help me, if nobody's going to help me, ever notice how some of the things you don't do that you're supposed to do is always somebody else's fault? Elisha's not helping me anymore, and if he's not going to help me, then I don't have to take any shots. Oh, well, pastor's not there. Pastor's not doing it. Oh, well, my mom, she didn't give me the, the, the loving that I deserved. Well, my, my teachers never gave me that. Oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the body. I don't have the, It's always somebody else's fault that I don't have what I need to take this. You do. But see, you would rather blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault why you're not doing the right thing. Well, I can't show love to my neighbor because my neighbor's a jerk. Okay, uh, your neighbor may be a jerk. You can still do the right thing. You can still take your shot. Do you understand that when the master gets mad at the, at the servants, he's not mad that the, the, two, the servant with two talents doesn't do as much as the five. The servant with two talents was only responsible for two talents. And the servant with one talent isn't responsible for five or for two. The servant with one talent was only responsible for what he was given. You're not held accountable for somebody else. You are held accountable for what you've been given. So stop worrying about what other people do or don't do, how they, if they took the shot or not. Well, I'm only going to be nice to my spouse if my spouse is nice to me. If they don't ever take their shot, that's between them and God. You still have to do the right thing. Didn't get a lot of amens on that one. What else? What are other reasons? Well, um, I'm not a very good archer. Yeah, no duh. I'm not, I'm not good at this. I'm not, I'm not very good. Pastor, I can't take shots. I'm not a, I'm not a missionary. I'm not, I'm not theologically trained. Who cares? Do you understand what the objective was? Hit something. Even the ground. It was literally just hit the ground. Do you know how bad of an archer you have to be to shoot an arrow and not hit the ground? <laughs> He's like, just shoot it out the window. All you have to do is shoot it out the window. It wasn't like he was like Robin Hood, like, hey, hit the wings off of that, that fly at 500 paces. Just here, here's your extent, Archer. Just shoot it out the window. <laughs> you hit the ground. Yes, you hit the ground. Dude, you hit a tree. Even better. <laughs> you hit that random stranger. Not as good, but it still counts. Like, you don't have to worry about being a great Archer. And yet Satan whispers in your ear all the time, no, don't talk to them about Jesus. No, don't show love here. They, you're, you're not good enough. You won't get it right. You won't do it right. You won't say the right thing. The amount, of, the amount of people in this room right now are watching that aren't doing what God's called them to do because you've made up the excuse that you're not a good enough whatever is a lie straight from Satan. It's never been about you being good enough. It has nothing to do with your skill set. He says, just take, have the faith to just fire the shot. Wayne Gretzky says you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You, don't, you understand that Satan hates the idea of you taking shots tomorrow? Every shot you take for Jesus is a chance for some type of supernatural working to take place in that person's life. And you shortchange it because you're like, well, I'm not very good. And he's like, yes, you're not very good. Don't take any more shots. Don't take any more. Every shot was a victory. Do you understand? Every shot was a victory. So, of course, Satan's like, don't take any more shots. He doesn't want to take any more losses. 
Every shot you take is a victory for Jesus. And of course, he's going to tell you, no more shots. You suck. Do you know how bad your reputation is? Do you know how bad you've been in your life? Do you know what people think about you? Do you know how long you've had that addiction? Do you know how many people hate you? You're not allowed to take shots. There's no way you can represent God. You're not, a, you're not worthy. You know what? I'm not. Let me set you free right now. You're not because it's never been about how good you can be. It's always about how good God is. You're not taking the shot in your expert archery skills. It's faith that God has a bigger plan than you. And that's the last reason we don't take shots. It's not going to do anything. I'm just being honest. If I was King Jehoahash, I'm like, old dying guy wants me to shoot arrows into the ground. And after like the second one, thunk, thunk. I'm like, one more of these and I'm out. All right, I did it three times. That's got to be good enough, right? See, good enough is good enough when you don't believe that there's any purpose. And Satan will whisper this in your ear because every arrow you shoot is a victory. So he will whisper to you, they're not doing anything. If I'm the king of the country and every arrow I shoot is a battle I win, I empty that whole freaking quiver. But if I don't think that they mean anything, if I don't understand the thing that's, that's happening, if I don't understand the picture that's at play, I just, I'm good after three. I'm good after three. Why? Why? Because I don't believe it's making a difference. You know how long you've been trying to be a good witness at work and not a single one of your coworkers comes to church? You're not making a difference. You know how many times that you've tried to witness to your grandma and she doesn't want anything to hear about it? Do you know how many, how many times you've given money in, in, the, in the offering baskets to support something else and you still have bills to You're not making a difference. It's just stop. How, you hear that whisper all the time? Do you, do you guys have these thoughts? Am I the only person that struggles with this? Like, am I making a difference? Is, is serving God changing anything? Is this, is this, this have any value? Now, on a good day, I'm like, I'm all there. But on a bad day, I'm like, what difference does it make? See, that's a whisper from Satan. He wants you to pass it up. He wants you, he wants you to just, just, just go about your, you just put your head down and work. You worry about you. You worry about you. Don't worry about taking shots for God. You worry about you because nobody else is going to look out for you. So you take care of you, and God will have to take care of everything else. And so we become selfish and self-centered, and we, don't, we stop even looking for open windows because we don't think it makes a difference. In the words of Alexander Hamilton, the singer, I'm not throwing away my shots. No, you know. Once, you guys don't know songs. Screw you guys. Whatever. <laughs> Watch these people take their shots, and then we'll close, all right? I feel like I can still do it from that distance, but I, maybe I can't, who knows. Maybe I should just do a short distance, but now if I miss, it's even more troubling, you know? Go big or go home. I like where your head's at. Let's see we're, it. We're going we're gonna to make it this time. We're not going to go for the, we're going to go for the sidekick. Okay, sidekick. Mark your distance here. The paper says if I miss, I'm disqualified, right? You get two tries, though. Okay, I see. You get one more. Okay, I guess I'll get closer. You go okay. a little closer? Yeah. All right. You think you'll beat the other contestants from this distance? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> At least I can say I made it, right? If I make it. 
It's better than nothing. It's all yours. Oh, oh, hey! That's how we do it! Yeah! Bonus points for celebration, for sure. Oh, see. Evan's going right. I'll start here. Alright. Ready when you are. Hey! Woo! We got one! <laughs> Wait, I think I want to... <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> Katie Rose. You're good, you're good. Okay. Yeah! Woo! Oh, yeah! <laughs> I made it! Yep. <laughs> Let's see. Oh. <laughs> gotta find some good ground. Sure, sure, you gotta have that firm foundation, am I right? Oh, sure. hey oh, up. All right, can I do it? We'll see. Touchdown! Let's see your celebration. Dun, 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 dun. Hey! Yes, keep hey. going, keep going. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. That's a soccer celebration. The crowd goes wild. Thank you, thank you, my public. Thank you, thank you. I'll be here. I'm done, actually. I gotta go. Great work. I gotta go. Some of them didn't make a shot. Um, we'll show you the winners here in a second, but let me let me come back to this point. You're never going to make a shot that you don't take. Never going to make a shot you don't take. But the original question was, well, how do I know if it's good enough? You see, we keep playing this game based on I got to compare myself to what everybody else does. That game was set up that you could only win if you kick it from further back than somebody else. So we go through our life going, well, how good is he doing? How good is she doing? You know, I wasn't Mother Teresa this week, so I must be, you know, God must be mad at me. No. See, the whole idea of being a servant who takes the shots is that you're willing to put your faith in a plan that's bigger than yours. This isn't about your skill this isn't about your ability to understand how everything comes together. This is about your willingness to obey even when you don't have skill and even when you don't understand. It has nothing to do with how good you are or, or like how well you did compared to somebody else. Maybe the person sitting next to you took 50 shots this week. Okay, that's between them and God. You have to answer for what the master gave you. And what he cares about is the heart that you have. Do you understand that your shot, yeah, your shot might be sharing your faith with a coworker. Your shot might be tithing and, and giving your money or your time to something that, that is bigger than your cause. Your shot might be not telling that family member how dumb they are. So you think it they, I'll take my shot. I will tell them. that Taking your shot might be shutting up. <laughs> you, you miss that shot a lot because you've always got to be right. You've always got to have the last word. You've always got to prove how smart you are. Do you understand how many shots you miss because you don't live your life surrendered to God? 
You think that somehow you're the one that's accomplishing things. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think that of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Anything that you do, anything that you accomplish has nothing to do with you. We are so cocky and arrogant. You're only breathing because God's letting your lungs move. You only have the job you have is because God's gracious to you. Your mind is functioning because God's choosing to allow it to function. So nothing that you complete, no shot that you take, goes in any way credit to you. Just like the servants who brought back talents, they had zero without the master. Do you understand how your heart has to change? I'm not talking about doing something different. Like some of you hear this message, you're like, pastor's got a hundred things for me to do now. No, I'm talking about changing your heart. Those shots have been there the whole time, whether you recognize them or not. It's do you have the heart that says, God, I'm yours. I'm your servant. I want you guys to stand. Some of you focus a little better when you, you get the blood flowing. I want you to stand. And I want you to hear these last two verses. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your, let, then I will let your eyes observe my ways. You will learn to see what it is that God is doing. You will see how the arrows come out to be victories once you give him your heart. The king didn't understand. Elisha knew. Elisha knew every one of those arrows was a victory. He didn't know how many the king was going to shoot, but he knew that God said, hey, every one of those arrows is a victory. So he was probably like, hey, king, your turn. Shoot some arrows. Emphasis on the plural. Arrows. The king only shoots three. As your pastor, I'm telling you to shoot your shot. Every arrow you get, and you get hundreds of them every day. You won't do this. Maybe you, maybe you heard the message, maybe you didn't. But none of this will matter if you walk out of this room in your power. If everything that you own, everything that you do comes back to you, if you are the center of your universe, you will never take the shots for God. Your life will never impact eternity, and you will not find that peace and the purpose that God has for you as long as you continue to be the center. But if you will surrender yourself, if you will surrender your heart, then God will use you in a very, very powerful way. He will give you shots that lead to victory. One of the verses I love to use at baptisms, we got about 70 people getting baptized tonight. I love that. That is so exciting to see them take that step. Please, please come out for that. Baptism is a picture of people saying, hey, the old me is gone. And what they're talking about is Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go through another day being the boss of it. I'm not a good enough God. I need to be surrendered to something bigger. So I invited our band to lead us in our invitation today. Instead of me just praying over you, I want you to, I want you to stand there and pray, but I'm going to give you some words that you can pray to get you started. The lyrics of this song, I Surrender All, it's an oldie but a goodie. 
And it speaks to the heart attitude that says, I'm not in control and I shouldn't be. And God, if I really love you, if I really follow you, then I surrender it. I surrender all of it. I surrender everything that you everything that you have, God, that you've given me is yours back. And this can be your prayer. You can close your eyes, you can sing it out loud, or you can just stand there and think, God, what do you got for me? But if you can sing this and mean it, this will set you free to take more shots than you've ever taken before. I'm going to live here daily. This is where I'm going to be, God. This is my prayer. This is my promise. I, I'm, my time, my talents, my treasure, my testimony, all of it. God, I'm laying it down at your feet today. God, I'm sorry that I keep trying to make it my plan. All to you. You saved me, so you get to call the shots, God. It's not me anymore. It's you. Church, if you'll sing this and mean it, I believe God's got something bigger for you walking out of this door than that you walked in. But you have to have some business between you and God. Will you lift your voices? Let's worship together.
invite you to bow your heads. Just continue in that state of prayer. If this is something that you want, if you're saying, God, I, I don't want to leave here the same way I walked in. I need, I need more of you and less of me. Then right now as I'm talking, you pray. Right where you're at, wherever you are watching this, if you're under the sound of my voice, just pray between you and God. Say, God, I need, I need to surrender because I, I know I'm missing shots in my life. I know I'm missing opportunities to be more of the man or the woman you created me to be. So today I confess I need more of you. I surrender. Whatever it is that's in the way, if it's my opinion, if it's my fear, if it's my anger, if it's God, if it's my plan, my ego, God, I surrender. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And while there's people praying all over, I know there's somebody under the sound of my voice. There's somebody here in this room that does not know Jesus Christ and has not surrendered to him in a way that says, I need a savior. If you would do that right now, right where you stand, right where you are, if you would say, God, I'm not a good enough God. I surrender. I need you. Would you forgive me? Lord, would you come into my heart? Would you be the one in control? Would you sit on the throne of my life? Would you call the shots? God, forgive me. I'm broken and only you can fix me. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but if you would have a heart of repentance, if you would have a heart that says, God, I need you more than anything else, the Bible says not only will he forgive you, but he'll save you and have a home in heaven one day for you when you die. But it comes down to your surrender. Will you do that today? As I pray, you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for loving us and thank you for giving us so much. God, we surrender today that our plan is not as good as yours. And God, that you have, you have so many opportunities, so many shots for us to take, and we miss them because we're, we're so focused on what we think and what we believe. And God, what we need is we need more faith in you. Lord, forgive me and every person in here for the times that we, we fall short of what it is you've called us to do. And God, help us. Help us leave here today. Help us leave this message, this time together, encouraged to be the people you've called us to be. God, help us to ignore the world and our flesh and the devil as, as distractions from taking the shots you've called us to. Let us live lives that please you and help us, God, to do that. And God, we praise you for what we believe you're going to do. We thank you for what you've already done, and we leave the future in your hands as we trust you, as we serve you. We ask all of this, pray all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen.